0: Hello and welcome to Navara FM, brought to you by Navara Media and broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM, London's very finest of radio stations beaming to you via frequency modulation, one of the world's first revolutionary communication technologies, as well as DAB and digital streaming. I am James Butler, your host through Good Times and Ill. I hope you all took advantage of the Uh, second-rate capitalist replacement for communal meaning and celebration that is Valentine's Day. And you all, whether partnered or single or whatever other arrangement people have these days, spent some time reflecting on love and solidarity. The party is dead, or so many of us used to say, not only 20 years ago when this was at its most fashionable, but uh, right up until very recently. But the last few years have seen the emergence, especially across Europe of parties of a new type alongside, especially here, the reanimation of what many of us considered dead forms, including the Labour Party. Many of these movements are characterised by their reliance on digital mobilisation, charismatic leaders and the circumvention of traditional party structures. Here with me to discuss his new book, analysing these trends. Uh, The book is The Digital Party political organization, online democracy is Paolo Gibaldo. Paolo, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I think I guess we can start with with that kind of historical picture. I mean, certainly a few years ago, I would have said the party form is, if not dying, uh, then so entirely captured by neoliberalism and hollowed out in terms of, uh, you know, the traditional democratic, ideological and political effectiveness, uh, that there was very little point, certainly for the left in engaging with them. Was I wrong? And why? You were certainly
1: not alone in the sense that many experts back then thought that the party was in its death throes. And it was not because of, say, fantasy. Uh, It was because of of real empirical data that proved that. Uh, I mean, BRITA perhaps provides the best case of that, of decline of of political party, in particular of the membership. If we look at the Labour Party back in the 50s, it was around one million members. The Conservative Party was even bigger. It it touched three million members. It was huge. And uh, it then reached a, a, another low point of around 180,000 members at the end of uh, the leadership of Tony Blair in the case of the Labour Party. And we are seeing now that how much even smaller the Conservative Party has become. And this trend was basically reproduced across many Western countries with parties losing um, their membership, losing uh, funds, being unable to be central actors in in, in political debates. So this is why many people thought that parties were over. There was this very widespread view that basically we were in a new era where society was too complex, too differentiated for parties to perform um, their aggregative function Mm -hmm. ultimately, their ability to bring people together, demands together and fuse them in a a coherent Mm -hmm. project and in a coherent action. Uh, yet I guess what we are seeing is that this prophecy is uh, is not true. That that is, it was only a momentary phase of, of party decline, and now it looks as if parties are coming back with a mm-hmm, vengeance.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? I mean, the the so um, in an excellent, I thought, review of your book in Jacobin, uh, Maisano mentions the the you know, creation of of this this kind of new party regimes under Berlusconi, and and you mentioned Blair there because the presiding figure of that death for me is Blair, Mm -hmm. right, that, you know, he's neutering an already weak internal democratic structure, concentrating the meaning of the party in himself in a lot of ways. Um, And you speak of a a kind of a television party, you know, a party familiar to us by its highly effective use of media and mediation. And you draw uh, or make reference to Peter Mayer's conception of the Mm cartel-like party. Um, you know, uh, and so it, it seems to me that the, that the argument has been that, on the one hand, the, the traditional class base of traditional left or social democratic parties uh, splintered over that period, right? Um, so there was a profound social transformation in which uh, the, the, the class identity that those parties drew from uh, was no longer there. To, to to put them together and and that's a a process that has been repeated you know across parties of the left uh, throughout europe uh, how how did that happen what was that 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 shift to this kind of television or cartel like party what what did that represent
1: Yes, I mean, one uh, key element there, and one of the elements uh, that, that that leads people such as Peter Mayer and others to assert that, that the party is in crisis is the fact that uh, um, social identities and class identities somehow don't seem to correspond anymore to to political party identities. Uh, there is not anymore this kind of privileged connection between, for example, a working class base in the case of socialist party and a pity bourgeois bourgeois base in the case of, of conservative parties. And I mean, to be fair, I mean, often there is these, these, these discourse are produced a bit unreflectedly, but I, I went back to the 50s, to some book in the 50s, uh, they were published in the 50s on, on this topic, and you see that also back then, uh, basically at the, at the ages, at the high point of uh, for this industrialism, the Communist Party in France and, and Italy were not entirely working class parties. Mm-hmm. I mean, they w- would have had perhaps kind of 50% of their electorate being working class and, and the remaining 50% would have been a mix of uh, kind of petty bourgeoisie, uh, whatever peasants uh, and, and other figures. So figures that didn't mm, belong to, to the industrial working class as a kind of core constituency. of of the parties of of Marxist inspiration. Uh, Now, it is true that one of the the factors that we need to consider to understand these parties is that we live in an era in which while classes are are there, they are extremely confusing and confused in a way because they are lowly organized, uh, because the means of class representation are not operating as, as efficiently as they did at a time of organized capitalism. Mm. Capitalism has become disorganized and as a consequence also labor in ways has become disorganized. And therefore, uh, many parties, especially on the left that were in a way, uh, that were constructed upon the structures of social organization, most notably indirect parties such as the Labour Party. Mm in a way, uh, are also reflecting these, this problem in a sense that one, in a condition in which social organisations, trade unions are not as strong as they were, uh, they sometimes can become quite a shaky foundation also for the political organisations that are uh, that, that are based on them.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, so one of the things we should mention here at the top, and I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the European Union, because, you know, obviously everyone does it to death at the moment. and. Uh, I'm sure some of our listeners have bought their back teeth of it. But one of the points Peter Mayer makes is, mm. that, is that the nature of these kind of transnational organisations has an effect of sapping a degree of uh, democratic political engagement and has these kind of contradictory effects in some ways, right? That, that elections are fought about policy issues that are decided at a European level, um, but therefore in largely domestic terms. Um, mm. This is something that, that I think is... Often not widely noted about Mayer's book, but does have an effect. Mm. And so, so do you see that you know that that hollowing out of these parties as related to a loss of democratic control?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, I would say so. In a sense that 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 has different manifestations. This loss of democratic control. I mean, obviously, it has to do with globalization, with the way in which supranational institution uh, absorb some of the kind of sovereignty that was previously. Assigned to, to to the nation state, but it also has to do with with the crisis of of membership democracy, mm-hmm. and that is one of the key elements in in the cartel party uh, a, a notion of of mayor, where there is this, there is this paradoxical process at play, where uh, what you see is that political parties are becoming stronger by align align. Uh, uh, together with, with, with the other parties so that they construct a cartel that basically militates against the possibility of citizens to, to, to make a choice. Mm-hmm. So that is what happened in the neoliberal era with the so-called extreme center mm. uh, where uh, if we look back at the times of, of Tony Blair, for example, I mean it was very difficult to kind of distinguish clearly economic policy of, of the Labour Party, the Lib Dems and the mm-hmm. Conservatives. Mm-hmm. And, and everywhere it was like that. Uh, parties resembled each other more and more. And therefore, they didn't give a, um, a real choice, a real option. It was, as Zizek famously put it in a quote, it was choosing, like choosing between Coca Cola and Pepsi. I mean, <laughs> There's not a big difference, at least for 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 our tongues uh, and and uh, and for our taste. Um, so that is, in a way, if you look at it, there is the negative background against which these parties mm. are trying to to emerge, uh, saying fundamentally the diagnosis they put forward is. Parties were the key link between the citizenry and the institutions. Mm -hmm. They were uh, the means through which uh, a number of ideas, policies, demands could be in a way refined and fused together, and then they could be mobilized in the political arena. Mm. This link is not, not, not functioning anymore. It has been distorted. It has been turned basically into a mere spectacle. Therefore, the only way in which citizens can recuperate democracy is by recuperating, is by repairing that uh, broken link mm-hmm. between the citizenry and political institutions, mm-hmm. namely the political party. I
0: mean, maybe I think... I- given that we're talking about the party or you know, the idea of the party in general we should and you mentioned it n- near the beginning of the book uh, we, should, we should just gesture towards or we'll talk about one of the root criticisms of the idea of the political party in the first place and you mentioned that there have been many critics who have been hostile mm-hmm. you know, to the idea of the party and actually I mean, through much of the historical emergence of democracy the idea of a political party was treated with a great deal of suspicion so you have uh, someone like J.S. Mill liberal thinker distrusted it because of the problem of sinister interests and mm-hmm. you know, danger of class legislation, which he means, by which he means, you know, small faction legislating for itself. But then also, I mean, you, you make reference to Simone Weil, who is you know, one of my, my favourite thinkers, remarkably, remarkable, very, very interesting woman. And she articulated this kind of heterodox uh, critique you know, from, from the left, from, from a kind of left, and it's very often very difficult to place her politics. Um, you know, and she argues that the real effect of the political party is that it forces this identification with a particular side, uh, and that entails a suspension of kind of critical faculties or thinking for oneself, um, you know, my party, right or wrong. Yeah. So how substantial do you find these critiques of, of the political party?
1: I mean, I, I think we need to see where these critics are coming from. Uh, part of them that are, uh, I mean, especially the, 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 the older ones, are coming mostly from the liberal right, mm-hmm. uh, from thinkers who are suspicious of the party because political parties have been the way through which the masses have organized themselves in. Uh, countries in national popular democracy with mass suffrage, right? Therefore, it is quite obvious that if you have a large fortune, if you have large properties to defend, you will look at these mass parties representing uh, the mass of the people as as competitors, as as dangers uh, v- vis-à-vis your uh, your property and your uh, economic and entrepreneurial liberty. Um, then, I mean, there is perhaps a more kind of philosophical critique that perhaps should be more carefully uh, um, understood, I mean, that is the one of Simone Weil and and, and other people where uh, she points out, I mean, something that we indeed we have seen in totalitarian parties uh, and uh, the fact that they, they can be used basically to manipulate people and, and to, uh, in a way, uh, subjugate all individuality and all individual will to the the needs, to the uh, political reason of the party, mm-hmm. right? Which is, I mean, obviously George Orwell in 1984, perhaps is the most famous literary uh, representation of that, but that there is plenty of that because I mean, besides uh, Nazism, uh, I mean, also on the left, Stalinism has obviously been a, a demonstration of the, of the very dangerous tendencies that, that mm-hmm. are involved in that. Um, But then I, and then also now on the kind of new, on the new left and in the kind of in social movements, we've seen this critique going Mm on. I mean, the anti-globalization movement, there was this very strong criticism of parties. So, for example, in the World Social Forum in Porto Alegre and other places, parties were banned from the World Social Forum. Only NGOs could be (laughs) admitted because NGOs are kind of inherently better. And again, I mean... I'm always saying lay in these cases, in a sense. I mean, you need to understand the motivations behind things. Mm -hmm. You cannot, in a way, operate through just kind of metaphysical absolutes in a sense like the party is good in and of itself or the movements are, are good. I mean, why was the party so suspected and so uh, antagonized also on the left? Because indeed there have been major distortions, there have been major problems. There is indeed a kind of authoritarian risk. There is the risk of a leadership principle, as Franz Neumann described mm. it, uh, referring to the Nazi party. That, uh, the risk that this may impose itself on, on, on people Yet, in a way, we also need to uh, realize where we are now, right? And why now many people feel, once again, the necessity of the political party. Because we are in a very different situation from the one described by George Orwell, uh, right? Uh, uh, In the post-war period, we're in a very different situation from right, the times of the Cold War and highly ideologized uh, polities. Uh, we are in a time where disorganization and chaos and fragmentation and, and dispersion mm-hmm. is, is the condition we, we, we are traversing. Therefore, in this condition, uh, reasserting the need for political organization, I think, is, is indeed uh, something meaningful and something necessary.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, let's move on then to, to the emergence of these, these new... Digital parties, maybe you could tell us a bit about what what you see as this, the specific new features of these parties and, and where they you know where they come from what they're inspired by, but also you know what the material forces are at work underneath them do they have social blocks to speak of mm-hmm.
1: yes, I mean. One important thing about political parties is that I mean I think when people think about political parties I don't know what our listeners have been imagining or thinking when when we are discussing this but I guess most of them have been thinking about uh, whatever uh, big rallies uh, with perhaps Lenin speaking to the crowd or uh, some, right people in kind of black and white uh, pictures uh Perhaps you have been thinking about the, the imaginary of the party in the industrial era. Mm, this is, mm, I guess, what, what listeners will, will have in their mind. But actually, parties are a, a trans-historical and almost kind of u- universal human phenomenon that you also find in ancient civilizations in some forms, as factions. Mm. That is, they're an extremely pliable uh, form of organization that can take uh, very different forms uh, across history. And it takes very different forms, also reflecting the type of society it is rooted in. Uh, right. So in the industrial era, it very much resembled the nature of industrial society. Very much resembled the nature of the Fordist uh, company with its very strong vertical integration. And guess what? In the digital era. Uh, that is very different from the industrial era, it resembles to a great extent the nature of our society uh, of social media and, and apps, and it resembles uh, the organizational logics of Silicon Valley companies mm-hmm. uh, that have become the kind of the, uh, the, uh, the great winners in in this economy and This can be seen at very different levels. It can be seen in the fact that they are using social media platforms i mean participatory platforms where people discuss things, discuss policies, they uh, participate in polls. They are not that different from liking posts Mm -hmm. or uh, uh, loving tweets or uh, upvoting things on uh, 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 or downvoting things on whatever uh, social network, Reddit or, or, Mm -hmm. or, or other discussion groups. They have databases uh, centralized databases m- m- very much like Facebook as a centralized database, which is its own basically core asset uh, They have a very high degree of kind of responsiveness to uh, users' interventions I mean they very much resemble uh the way in which digital companies operate right. Uh, And they do so because they try to capture the kind of social experience of the time, right? They realize, I mean, this is the way in which people are now operating. This is how people are interacting, uh, whether you like it or not, right? Mm -hmm. Therefore, as a a political organization, if you want to be effective in these times, you need at the very least to uh, deal with this situation. You need to kind of tap into that kind of social energy Uh, into that ongoing discussions uh, that that are happening out there. Uh, mm, Otherwise, in a way, you are like, uh, whatever, uh, a diesel train in in Japan, right? You are uh, completely out of the -hmm. the situation uh, and and, and therefore you are not performing. You're not able to operate at scale, as you were.
0: So, I mean, one of the things that that, that you point out is, is, you know, the party systems, you know, are are Incredibly durable in some ways, and it's mm. interesting to hear you talk of the parties as, as this transhistorical phenomenon. Because of course, you know, you go back to ancient Rome, you've got the you know, optimates and you mm. the Guelphs and Ghibellines in, yep. in, in, in medieval Florence, and, and, and um, the distinctive feature about the contemporary world is, or, or the 20th century world, uh, is the emergence of mass parties, mm-hmm. right? So that, yeah. that they have this kind of distinctive relationship to the vast mass of society. Um, that That hasn't gone away right like so mm. so all of these parties you know tend to pose themselves in relation to a, a large faction of society, if not like the totality of society sometimes uh, and maybe one of the things we can talk about is the relationship between these parties and populism, which obviously you've written on before um you know because they they do in, they, they definitely overlap and they they definitely uh you know take on some of the same features you know, in, in terms of kind of voicing something you know against a a, a political uh, elite, uh, but but it does seem to me that that these are you know that there is there's been some kind of sharp ideological break because even when you look at uh, you know the formation of say something like the Green Party and I I, you, I know you mentioned uh, you know uh, Democrazia uh, Proletaria mm. uh, you know proletarian democracy in in, in Italy uh, you know these were these were parties with a very kind of you know a recognisable ideological. Uh, bent and they mm. positioned themselves within the kind of the traditional frameworks uh, 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 of uh, you know, uh, of political contention, so they had programs which are recognizable as inheriting some of those those programs of mass parties uh, and they were recognizable within the framework of of traditional politics so that 's not quite the case with, with a lot of these organisations that you study. So something like mm-hmm. the Five Star Movement, even Podemos to an extent when it, you know, mm-hmm. you know depending on what side of yeah. the current split you fall on, yeah. um, you know, there, there, there is a kind of, there is something, and then something like the Pirate Party is, is very mm-hmm. hard to place ideologically. So what, is, there, is there an ideological continuity among these kind of new movements? And how mm-hmm. do they relate to the kind of traditional uh, you know, ideological hallmarks uh, yeah. uh, of post-war political parties? Mm.
1: Yes, I think that, that is a very interesting question. I think there is some degree of ideological and kind of political coherence and I think the example of new left parties in the 70s is a very good term of reference in that what we are seeing now is rather similar to what happened back then. There was basically the sort of political projection or crystallization of a new wave of social movements, right? The movements of the 68 and, and the 70s in a way produced uh, than also new political parties. They were embodying the new spirit of the time, uh, concern for freedom, for sexual liberation, for quality of life, right? There was, in a way, what uh, ecology, uh, feminism, there was what the new left, in a way, uh, brought to the fore. And what we are seeing now is not too dissimilar from that, in a sense that uh, they, these parties have largely emerged in the aftermath uh, or uh, in parallel to a new wave of social movements, the movements of 2011, the movements of the squares, uh, the new popular movements that we can see now continuing also with the gilets jaunes in France, Mm -hmm. the yellow vest. I mean, these new movements that are themselves populist in Mm -hmm. a certain way, in a sense that they speak the language of the people, of the citizens. And they do uh, indeed uh, uh, embody some of the spirit of those protest movements, right? That is about a recuperation of, of democracy, of people's power, of, of sovereignty. Uh, that is about a very uh, sharp criticism of neoliberal globalization. Uh, that is about uh, recuperation of a sense of, of kind of, of unity and uh, an integration. So I I think that in that you you can see some some coherence uh, in terms because sometimes I think what is overlooked is the fact that populism is not just a discourse, Mm -hmm. uh, but it also has some programmatic elements that obviously are very different when it comes to kind of left wing populism or or right wing populism. Mm -hmm. Yet there are there. Some, if not some uh, very concrete policies uh, say that this, that there, is, there are some inklings of, of, of a political vision mm-hmm. of a program, mm-hmm. and we see that indeed in the in the recurrence of certain keywords uh, such as sovereignty mm. uh, protection i mean all this emphasis now on the fact that people want to be protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that obviously can have very different meanings, protection, it can be be protected against foreigners Mm -hmm. or against people with other values, against LGBT people, or it can be protection in the workplace Mm -hmm. vis-a-vis the entrepreneur. But I think that this, this change in lexicon I think it bespeaks also mm. a, a change in ideology and a and change in, in vision that, to a great extent, these, these parties are embodying.
0: Mm. How do they deal with representation? Because it's yeah. interesting you yeah. mentioned the gilets jaunes there. Yeah. And, and they share many of the features with, uh, you know, with a lot of these, these, these digital... Or highly digital movements, yeah. uh, but the Gilets Jaunes—I mean, you know—they were organized through these Facebook groups, and they—you yeah. know—really, really interesting. Mm. But they're so deeply anti-representational. They have mm. been sort of maybe changing yeah. just a little bit, um, but that you know, to the point where people, you know, who who, who made themselves leaders, you know, found themselves sort of torn down, torn down, and attacked online. So, 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 how? What is the 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 relationship there? Because like, my sense is from the book, and it, is that it's quite—they have quite a vexed relationship relationship to, to representation and representative democracy?
1: Yes, actually, I mean, I, uh, I'm i on some telegram groups of the Gilets Jaunes and, and you can see that on the one hand they can be described as horizontal, mm. and that is why also uh, Tony Negri and friends started celebrating them <laughs> after uh, in the initial time when we were looking at them with suspicion, they they started saying, what oh, is this is wonderful, this is the incarnation of the multitude, it's the manifestation <laughs> of the multitude. And indeed, there's no doubt that they are, uh, that there's a level where that is true in the sense that they are very horizontal. They uh, organize themselves in ways that are super chaotic. Uh, with duplication of events, with uh, anybody basically able to say anything. But what keeps them together is ultimately a routine. Mm-hmm. I mean, much in the same way, uh, and this is something I discussed in my previous work, Twists on the Streets, so what allowed the movements of 2011 to, 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 uh, to be coherent and to, to s- stick together in a way and to continue working was the square. I mean, you had a, a, a term of reference in space. People knew that if you wanted to be in a movement, you just had to go to the square. Mm-hmm. Therefore, in a way, you didn't need a leader there because the square was a sort of surrogate for leadership. Mm-hmm. right? It was coordinating people. It was providing them a point of orientation. That is, the same is happening with Gilets Jaunes uh, road blockades at local level. So if you want to do something, you go to the road blockade and with the routine, with the ritual of Saturday protest mm-hmm, in Paris, mm-hmm. right? People know that the, to continue in the movement, to continue helping the movement, you just need to go to Paris, whatever, at 11, 12, yeah. Then obviously the, we, the march, uh, uh, itinerary will change, there will be, but say that gives in a way uh, a sort of pattern that, that gives the movement an order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in general, I think that is what is happening in, in all social movements, that, that, is, that is spontaneity and organization are not uh, metaphysical uh, absolutes and me- metaphysical opposites, they, they, they live with one another. This is something that Gramsci also says mm-hmm. in, in the prison notebooks, in a way that organization is spontaneity uh, reflecting on itself and, and, and developing, right? Uh, and also in the Gideon, you have leaders you have Drouet, Mm. you have so many, the fact is that you have many leaders, right? So sometimes people take the fact that there is not one unified leader as symptom of the fact that there is no leadership, but that is not true, I mean, you have different leaders competing with one another, you also have attempts to to, to found parties, there's two or three parties, That are trying to establish themselves from the Gilets Jaunes and compete in the 2019 European elections. Um, so you have this dialect between these, these two things going on, going on in everywhere. Yeah.
0: Is it, it, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I suppose one of the things yeah. with the French situation is obviously one of the things you study in the book is mm-hmm. La France Insoumise, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps more conventionally recognizable political movement, you know, obviously at, at its centre and, and really at its centre is Jean-Luc Mélenchon, and they have a kind of very interesting relationship to the, the, the Gilets Jaunes, in some in some ways trying to, <laughs> you know, trying to bridge the gap between themselves uh, mm. and this movement. It doesn't seem to be quite working, it doesn't mm. seem to be quite, you know, there, there seems to be a kind of differentiation in tone or in, in, in uh, orientation between them. But it, I mean, it also certainly seems, some of the polling I've seen is that there's certainly a great deal of sympathy uh, between the two movements, what do you make mm-hmm. of of that? Because this is this is the case of a digital party, mm-hmm. and just for listeners, La France Insoumise, uh, you know, is I, centered around Mélenchon. It has this kind of project for a new mm-hmm. French Republic. It has you know uh, this kind of very dispersed digital organization. Um, really, really, uh, and they can find out more by reading the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but 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 it's interesting because this this is to my mind the first moment where there's been a kind of eruptive. Mm-hmm. uh movement where there is an uh, if not well not established but certainly mm. extant digital party that's trying to trying to deal and, and find a way to deal with it. So do you have any thoughts on, on the relationship between the two?
1: Yes, I mean whatever having visited France recently to do some research on these uh my sense is that I mean perhaps the Francis Soumise I mean it's not looking as if the Francis Soumis is really managing to absorb this movement. Mm. Uh I mean uh, partly it looks as if people are uh, suspicious of it because they see it as too left, right? Also because the Francine Sumis in recent months has in a way been backtracking a bit from its uh, uh, democratic populist posture in the 2017 election, where he really tried to shed all references to the, the left heritage. It has now gone a bit into a kind of new identitarian, uh, left identitarian phase mm-hmm. where it's trying to appease some left militants, left leaders who were a bit pissed off by the fact that it went too populist for mm-hmm. them, basically, right? And this is not doing very well to to, to its uh, support, in, as indicated by the polls. And what many people I met uh, in France were telling me is that in France we may well see. Uh, something similar to the Italian scenario mm-hmm. uh, that is a new party emerging out of the Gilets Jaunes uh, or if not out of the Gilets Jaunes, say, mm, in parallel uh, to them, that may be similar to the Five Star Movement. And this new party, in a way, embodying the kind of new left uh, in, in, say, in digital or uh, in digital times, in, in the post-crash times. Mm-hmm. Then uh, obviously this is very much an issue that that I mean is a bit of a, of oracular philosophy, as, as Popper would would say. Say I mean it's, it's speculating on things that we, we we cannot control. But I think there is this sense that I mean, except for countries like, like Britain, uh, where there is in a way a lock in a party system due mm-hmm. to the first past the post. In other countries, we are really seeing that the old kind of socialist communist tradition is is giving way to, to something different, right? Which I'm not saying it's something necessarily good. I mean, it's, it's not that the new is, is, is better, uh, but indeed there is, there is a perception that uh, this new generation of parties, this new party family is not just a kind of uh, sideshow, mm-hmm. right, as it were, but it is really uh, represented one of the new div sides in, in the big divide that we have been witnessing to since 2008. Mm-hmm. It's yeah.
0: it's interesting. I mean, you know the I, so I've been thinking. I was thinking while reading the book that obviously recently we've seen a great degree of backlash to this sort of Facebook, social media, digital mm. model. Not in a political sense so much, um, or, or, or a kind of larger political sense, in that you know there are these broadsides written against conspiracy theory and fake mm. news and and this kind of psychological or formative effects. Uh, of these these communication technologies, mm-hmm. I suppose in some sense, you know, <laughs> the, the thing that really struck me in the political arena here was that the, I was reading something on the rise of uh, you know anti-vaccination campaigners within the Five Star Movement in, mm-hmm. in in Italy, which was you know kind of staggering. Always possible within uh, the, the M 5s in some ways because mm-hmm. of its kind of strange structure. But but I wonder, do you think there's something dangerous about the kind of this this kind of formation in, in a world? Um, where there is sort of information exhaustion, mm-hmm. um, where there's you know the possibility of discrimination between sources of information becomes you know more and more difficult, and you know and also at the same time people are simply less and less willing to take things mm. on trust. Uh, mm. And then you have a floating over all of that, you have the question of Cambridge Analytica uh, and sort of digital manipulation, which is often the case mm. for sort of paranoia on the part yep. of you know, liberals and the soft left, but it's a real thing. Um, And so I I wonder, you know, the extent to which these kind of communications can have a a degrading effect.
1: Yeah. You know, there is this thing that has by now become kind of commonplace that we are in this phase of interregnum. And people always quote this (laughs) famous quote from Gramsci where right? So these morbid mm-hmm. symptoms yes. manifest themselves. But indeed, we need to take that, that seriously in, in a sense that we are in one of those rare uh, phases in a kind of the historical continuum when things are Ill- really up in the air, right? And nobody really knows where they are going to go. It's a moment of bifurcation, it's mm-hmm. a moment of great instability, and and it is a moment of great opportunities, also great dangers, because in a way all the, the entire... Um, Cartesian greed is messed up. You don't understand anymore what is the left, what is the right, really, Mm -hmm. in kind of usual terms of progressives versus conservatives. And there is also fundamentally a crisis of authority. That is, people don't trust anymore, uh, not just the political authorities, but also the cultural authorities, right? Uh, There is a strong Mm -hmm. anti-intellectualism. People don't trust anymore academics telling them what is right and what is wrong. Perhaps they are largely right to, to do that. I mean, it's not that the people are going crazy or there's something uh, uh, in, the, in the water that they're drinking, uh, but is the fact that people have been told by the very experts for years and years that the capitalist economy was amazing, we were going to have conservatories in all our houses, and we were all going to be able to whatever, uh, to have all the luxuries of the world, and that didn't exactly happen. And the same people told us about the weapons of mass destruction and all mm-hmm. this bullshit. So, t- I should apologize
0: for oh, uh, swearing on air there. Uh, just as I know, Ofcom is often breathing down our necks. It's fine. Oh, uh, many sorry, apologies I to our listeners. I, offended I apologize. I apologize. Salty I apologize Mediterranean language. If I
1: like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I apologize for my... I, I try not to be an expert, but that went wrong. <laughs> uh, so there is all this uh, uh, tendency where you... Um, Right there is people don 't trust anymore the authorities, the sources of knowledge mm. and, and, and information and, and, and so that, that is a phase that that can be quite dangerous in a sense that what I, uh, the, the way I see it is that the paradox there is that skepticism that is justified. Mm. Goes hand in hand with its opposite, namely credulity, mm-hmm. right or credulousness, whatever. Okay. Uh, that is the uh, availability to believe anything. I mean, since what the kind of uh, official version was wrong, uh, you are open to embrace any alternative version, mm-hmm. right? Uh, almost as a gesture of uh, uh, of dissent. To mm-hmm. say, look, I mean, I don't believe in what the MSM, the mainstream mm-hmm. media, are telling me. So whatever, flattered, okay, I'll go for that. <laughs> uh, whatever, vaccination. Perhaps what they told me is wrong. Since yeah, they, yeah, yeah. what they told me about the economy was wrong, perhaps the same thing applies to to, to uh, vaccination, right? I mean, so one is again, one has to instead of, of adopting kind of moral absolutes. Uh, position a uh, more absolute position one needs to look at, at the motivations mm. for, the, for for that and it th- also applies applies to politics where in a way the crisis of of the theory of class conflict of class struggle has been displaced by conspiracy theories which often look very much like a surrogate of, of class struggle mm. right mm-hmm. i mean they posit instead of the capitalists you have some shady Elites, uh, I mean, sometimes representing kind of like with an anti-Semitic Im- imaginary uh, that displays the role played in class uh, uh, conflict theory by, by capitalists mm. or uh, the owners of the means of production. And then you have the oppressed masses who are don't know where uh, uh, how, how things are going. So the challenge there, um, I mean, the, the wrong response to that is the one I see in some left intelligentsia adopting, uh, like Remainers in Britain and uh, whatever, Negrian uh, in, in, Intellectuali in Italy, where they're saying, basically, these, who are these people? Who are these people on social media? These are plebs. We mm-hmm. don't want anything to do with them. They are, this, um, they are uh, very bad people. Uh, and they are ignorant. Uh, they, uh, they are charlatans. Uh, we know the truth. We don't need to engage with them. Uh, While instead one should uh, engage in the task of political education, right? Political, political pedagogy in a mm-hmm. sense of shaping this uh, uh, upsurge of, of, of discontent and dissent, and saying basically, yes, you're right to be discontent. You're right to be suspicious. This is how we can find an agreement, right, mm-hmm. on, on how uh, what the reality is.
0: Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it's it, you know it's, stri- <laughs> it's striking to me. <clears throat> How common that sort of uh, uh, contempt uh, for, for, for 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 any sort of uh, you know gesture of dissent that isn't you know uh, precisely calibrated mm-hmm. to, uh, to 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 what is quite a you know quite a ramified body of theory you know it has to be said you know the the the. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm very familiar with it, and I can be as bad as other people in saying, like, "Gosh, these people, these people haven't read." Uh, I don't know <laughs> Luxembourg's accumulation of capital. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it can be it can be a very very you know tempting response uh, uh, to 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 uh, for, for left intellectuals, I think. Um, uh, but it, it does you know it, it does make me wonder you know the extent to which there is. Uh, an ideology of the internet, right, which mm. which levels all of this stuff, which says yep. you know we're going to take you know all this stuff as being kind of equally uh, plausible or equally mm. possibly plausible, and then judge between them in that way. So there's so so one there's no uh, varying degrees of social trust, right? Everything on the mm. internet is flat. Mm. Um, you know, uh, participation is key. Mm. This kind of stuff. What else? If there is an ideology of the internet, what else? is involved in
1: it. Mm -hmm. I think the key word there is participation and disintermediation. Mm. And that is, in in a way, what we see in all social media, where before, if you wanted to express your opinion, you had to write a letter to the local newspaper and say, whatever Paolo thinks this, you should clean the the streets better. Mm -hmm. Now basically you can post it on Facebook and whatever. Uh, express your anger against the local mayor who is not cleaning the streets, whatever, right? You see that in in consumer apps where... uh where before you had to call a travel agency to book your uh, trip to the U.S. Now you go whatever to kayak or whatever website you're using and you can book your ticket, right? Uh, I mean, obviously, this is presented to us as something inherently um, better, making our, our life beautiful. But interestingly, sometimes it is uh, externalizing work on us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, n- now we have to kind of be the travel agent that before we were... Uh, employing uh, for that and as uh, Roberto Fico the the, the the speaker of the Congress in Italy of the lower chamber uh, put it to me in an interview that is uh, discussing the book we have basically seen the same thing happening with politics mm. that is uh, the idea is that people don't trust anymore the kind of intermediate party apparatus or the cadre or the kind of local rep to take care of your uh, whatever proposal, complaints, uh, contribution, but they want directly to engage with the platform. They want directly to express mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. express their ideas, uh, which is quite paradoxical in a sense that is uh, presented as participation, right? As the opposite of a representation, but in a way is people who, want to represent themselves directly. That mm-hmm. is often what participation really, really means, right? Saying, hey, I, I think this, I don't trust anybody else to mediate mm. my, my, my idea, and, and uh, this is me, this is my proposal, I, I want to table a law. Or whatever, right? Uh, And and I think, again, with this is something that that needs to be uh, approached with uh, some nuance in the sense that, again, it cannot be written off as simply whatever neoliberalism, individualist narcissism, though partly it is also that, right? But it also has to be seen as something that needs to be funneled. As, as a positive energy, mm. as something that can help re-legitimize the, the political process. And I think that is one of the places where uh, digital parties have something to, to teach us.
0: Yeah, I mean, so one of the, 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 the really striking things the book identifies for me was you know, something that I had felt for a long time, and it's partly connected to this question of, of trust, right? Like, like actually, I would like to be in a situation where as part of an organisation where I could trust someone to have the down low on mm-hmm. something and and to be able to trust their their kind of judgment on that i'm you know that's not the case but you know <laughs> we, we, we may be guessing that um but but what that means is that the the that what you identify is is one the the kind of hypertrophy at both ends, right? So you have what you call a hyper leader and a super base, and what's mm. missing or what has gone, what has disappeared in between is you know those intermediate structures of, yeah. of you know of cadre or cadre or you mm. know, however, however we want to pronounce it, um, and and that is actually a, a kind of profound mm. shift. And why has that disappeared mm. and what has disappeared with it?
1: Mm. Yeah, first perhaps we really need to elaborate a bit on, on this paradox in a sense that on the one hand, it is true that member, the membership is partly empowered mm-hmm. and that is why in the book I call it the super base in a sense that it is a kind of stronger base, a more uh, activated base, but often activated more in the sense of, of reactivity, mm. more than actual activity, in a sense that they are like whatever fans of Justin Bieber who are able to love and retweet uh, tweets, mm. right, or, or perhaps comment, but they cannot become Justin Beavers mm. themselves. They always will remain believers. They'll never become Justin Beavers, as it were, right? Um, but the paradox there so, is that all libertarians and anarchists and techno-utopians told us that the internet would have empowered us and basically that as a consequence of that, we would have not needed leaders anymore. We would have become our own micro-leaders with our networks and so on and so forth. What is happening is actually not like that. Actually, that um, partial empowerment of the base goes hand in hand with the strengthening of the individual leader which in the part in, in the book I, I call the uh, hyper leader exactly to express this excessive character of leadership. That is, it's not leadership anymore just as a kind of elected office, mm. as somebody represented uh, the, the, the membership, but is really a charismatic leadership that takes the forms of social media celebrity in, in, in a way, mm. right? Is uh, The leader becomes a sort of social media storyteller that is constantly telling us anything he, she does, uh, take the example of uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm. uh, Instagram account where she's telling us about her makeup or uh, take the example of, of Salvini in Italy mm. where she is not sparing us from a single breakfast or lunch. He's having telling us how much ragu and parmesan he's putting on his rigatoni. And on Valentine's Day he basically weeps in front of all the female fans saying I have no companion this, mm. this Valentine's Day we have ab- abolished Valentine's Day and anytime Milan is his team uh, loses a match is complaining about Gattuso the coach of Milan right so uh, and and that is extremely interesting but from mm-hmm. a kind of sociological and political perspective right because things always a- have a reason right As good he- he- hegelian which we, we, we should know uh, <laughs> uh, that is is because the hyperliter becomes in, in, in the absence of intermediary structures, in a context of weakness of organizations, in a context of distrust towards collectives and towards bureaucracies, uh, the affect uh, towards the leader becomes the only channel for a sentimental connection mm-hmm. between the people and, and, and the party. Mm. Uh, and that is why we need to kind of uh, be engaged in these uh, ongoing reporting you know, about people's kind of tri- trivial uh everyday life uh, doings yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah i mean it is it, it's, it's funny one of the things you you, you mentioned in the book mm. is you know historically instantly if you thought of the the communist party that you would think of the bottega oscura mm. the, this kind of vast central headquarters of like mm. where the communist party mm. was um you know and also maybe in the casa del popolo in your town mm. or like the local you know, your 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 local branch or whatever. But 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 that if you thought of the party you thought of its kind of central mm-hmm, mm-hmm. organization. Leading. I yeah. 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 Um and actually what's what one of the things that's striking about these parties is actually how kind of it, it's very hard to think of them as having, mm. you know, a centre other than the person of the leader themselves. Uh and that that sort of uh, you know emotional connection there, I think, you know, I, I instinctively sort of distrust it, right? Like I come from you know a traditional left background where actually, you know, we say like, oh, you know, uh, investing a vast amount of authority in a kind of charismatic mm-hmm. leader is very, very dangerous. I remember mm-hmm. this very early on in the, the kind of the emergence of Podemos when you know, there was an election earlier when they put uh, Iglesias's face yeah, on ballot paper, and it was like, "What is this? What is this? This is yeah, like very, very creepy, very, very dangerous." Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it does seem to me to to be an increasingly unavoidable mm-hmm. part of these parties. So, is yeah. there is there a kind of uh, and you know, and and, and, and it happens here mm-hmm. with Corbyn as well, right? he yeah. kind of has this sort of very interesting, like, authentic anti-charisma. You know, he's a uh, He tends his allotment, or he you know he rides a motorbike on like potholed roads in East Germany with Diane Abbott in the in 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 the in in the other car, or you know, (laughs) and it's you know it's it's this kind of like uh, 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 you know fantasy of 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 authenticity, you know, which helps because he actually has lived quite an authentic life, and and therefore you know it's very hard to find sort of hypocrisy, which as far as I can tell is like the great sin. Uh, 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 of the of these kind of leaders and thing that can undo them. So, so what are the kind of constraints or, or mm. that, that 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 we should be thinking about in terms of the, mm. these relationships to to the charismatic leader?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you're saying, basically, it, it is working, right? And it is working because celebrity culture is such a powerful force mm. in our society, and, and people love to identify themselves with these heroes. And I think it, there is again a sort of transhistorical tendency, right? That the, the desire to, to, to identify oneself with, with exceptional individuals mm. and, and, and with people in flesh and bones rather than with abstract ideas. Mm. Right? Uh, then, obviously, one needs to think a bit about what are the limits of these. And I think the limits have to be coherent with, with the function. These hyper-leadership can have. So, in the book, I I go back to Antonio Gramsci's discussion of uh, the modern prince, uh, and where he says something quite interesting, because he he basically says that the condottiere, uh, the war leader of the prince of of Machiavelli, is not anymore... um, um, something that can be used in an industrial society, in a modern society, because we are in a society that is too complex, uh, too industrialized for that to work. Mm-hmm. Therefore, according to him, the party, the mass party, the bureaucratic party, substitutes the function of the individual leader, of the prince. Uh, now it is as if the, we have a reversal of that. That is, the bureaucratic party has been substituted once again by indivi- the individual leader. But interestingly, Gramsci also makes a case... Uh, a limit case, in a way, for uh, situations where the individual leader can still be useful. And these are situations of transitions where you need, in a way, to reorganize entirely political space, where you need to refound political organizations, because there's been a delinkage between Mm -hmm. the social base and the organizational structure. Perhaps that is the way we need to look at this. That is, the role of these hyper-leaders, in a positive sense, has to be the one of being uh, guarantors uh, who can help us re-found collective organizations, and re-establish them, and put them on their feet again, and then, in a way, their role, uh, their transitional role at that point will expire, mm. right? Uh, and I think that is very much in the way, at least we, we, we need to approach that, at least on the left. Mm.
0: Mm mm-hmm. mean it's, it's one of the things, I guess, that's interesting. So obviously, momentum makes an appearance in the okay. book. And it's one of the things that's quite mm-hmm. striking here. In, t- is in t- Because, you know, the Anglosphere mm-hmm. has, you know, you know, in the US, certainly, but but here as well, these uh, electoral systems, which mm-hmm. are quite profoundly different, mm-hmm. you know, to, to say continental European ones, by and large, Um so, so I mean, the old H.L. Mencken gag about the United States being a one-party state, with, but with typical extravagance, it has two of them. Um, <laughs> but and we have the kind of you know these old, very old and unshifting parties here in this increasingly polarized politics. You know, obviously Trump to some extent um, embodies some of these tendencies, and maybe the tendencies actually of the television party taken to its extreme—a kind of hyperbolisconismo. The connection between him and his base is very. It, it felt very, very similar to the stuff in. In the book, you know, and it's given rise now to the, you know, very, very interesting kind of conspiracy theory, you know, this QAnon stuff where, like, there's, you know, to explain what's going wrong with his leadership, there's this kind of you know, bizarre fantasy about you know him taking on the elite paedophile rings or something like that, but it, it tells you something about that that kind of deep mm-hmm. uh, deep connection to mm-hmm. to the leader, right? That that it can develop these these kind of almost like it's like Ptolemaic astrology, right? Like whether you, you mm-hmm. conjure up new cycles of the planets mm-hmm. to explain how the model still works. Anyway, um, I, I guess my question here is 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 located more with the, with momentum, right, mm-hmm. and more with the Labour Party here it, is how. You know, because, because it seems to me that momentum in some ways has, has taken on that, that digital mantle, but found itself understandably in some ways stalled, right? Because it doesn't want to be a parallel organisation to the Labour Party. Mm. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't want to operate, you know, according to these kind of traditional left structures, which give over, you know, quite a powerful force to, you know, the tyranny of the most committed <laughs> um, um, but, but then it, it, you know, it means that it's found itself effectively as just this sort of mobilising force um, for the leader. Um, so, so what's your sense of the way in which this plays out in British politics?
1: Yes, that is curious in the sense that perhaps the way you could look at that is that Momentum is the digital party within a, a party that has to a large extent remained what it was, mm, that has mm, changed mm. very little, right? And I know within the Labour Party there's been discussions, debates about whatever, let's discuss this fad of digital democracy, let's do something about it, uh, let's whatever, implement a consultation system, but without a real kind of uh, uh clear and, and kind of coherent push for for that. Also because ultimately, as, as the book shows, I mean, this is not a kind of technological change or whatever, a new gadget that you can yeah. add to your own uh, uh, toy room. It, it's something that, that is, if you apply it, Coherent is going to change power structures. Mm. It's going to have significant effects for the very the, the, the power equilibrium within, within the party. Yeah. So in, in the case of momentum, there's been an attempt to draw some of these uh, uh, mechanisms, adopting a OMOV system, one man, one vote system, um, and having some consultations, creating a platform called My Momentum. Um, but the Labour Party so far has applied that um, only for the leadership elections in uh, in 2016, right? Mm-hmm. The second mm-hmm. uh, Corbyn leadership election, where you add the option of voting via email, right? Now, you no, know, even actually, I I, I don't ridicule these, uh, this this uh, tiny thing because also tiny things like that can have uh, a very big uh, effect. Like now, imagine if trade unions in Britain were able to uh, call a strike based on e-ballots. Mm-hmm. If I'm correct, they are not able to do that by by law. I mean, a law that has been implemented by by the last Tory government, and that is for a very specific kind of political reason. Because paper ballots are more laborious. Horomachi may look stupid, but indeed people have. Spend more time uh, posting ballots and everything. So, if you had unions being able to to uh, to ballot their members on strike uh, via email, you would have more strikes, simply,
0: yeah. like, like yeah, that. Yeah.
1: So, also very simple things such as the possibility to vote on 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 the leadership or on the central bodies, national executive committee. I mean, all this panoply of mm-hmm. of, of of bodies you have, you have in labor, I think, would be very important. It would go. Uh, some way towards democratizing the party. And then I think also some uh, referendums, internal referendums, and I know that now in Britain you uh, are are a bit cautious (laughs) with the referendums, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) don't. But but say internal referendums on kind of dilemma choices, Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, for example, this uh, deal of Theresa May, if she reworked, renegotiated, should we accept it or not? Perhaps it could. I mean, having them press kind of once a year on very, very really important and divisive issues, it would, I think, perhaps serve to uh, to unite the party mm-hmm. to, to say, "Hey, we are having an actual consultation," because indeed, perhaps you know, the, the very temporality of, of parties is, is now too. Uh, too long for for the kind of social rhythm we are in people change their mind very quickly mm. uh, it is difficult for for a mandate uh, to, to last for for two or three years right so I think some of these quite quite kind of tiny things could could could, could help re relink in a way the base and mm. and, and, uh, and the summit of the party
0: yeah i mean it's it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's intriguing to me I just just to, you know and one of the thoughts I had throughout is that question of like what then if we have this in place what the physical what what use the physical meetings are in terms mm. of building sort of a thick sort of social movement or a kind of you know a sense of, of, of coherent solidarity you end the book with a, a political to-do list you just have a, a couple of minutes left and i i wonder if if you could give us a sense of what your feeling is about because you know, for, for a book that studies these things there is i think a profound ambivalence in the book about you know, it, it rec- it's it's a book that recognizes these things are happening, mm-hmm. um, and then wants to figure out where to go with them. Um, so, so I wonder if we could end with just a sense about what people you know, in these organisations should be doing, you know, where where you know its tendencies need to be uh, corrected or maybe extended and deepened. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's there's some stuff about kind of grassroots or bottom-up initiatives.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think putting it in very simple terms, uh, there are some changes that need to be done. First and foremost, all the management of decision making needs to be controlled by a body that is independent from the leadership, as it already Mm. happens in traditional parties. You have a procedure committee or a guarantee committee that is responsible for doing that, for example, in in party conferences. But this is often not, not happening in these parties, which means that often the staff controlling decision making is hired by the very people who have an interest in decision-making, which is a clear conflict of interest. Uh, secondly, in a way, I think you need to, we, need, we need to abandon a bit some of the utopia of particip- participationism. Uh, that is where a lot of my amb- ambivalence lies in a sense that there is some, some value there in allowing people to participate. But on the other hand, uh, participation can create its own aristocracy of participation, mm-hmm. which needs to be carefully uh, fought against and then finally there are many positive ways in which we can crowdsource ideas we can debate ideas but we need to have a clear process and clear rules for how these ideas are ultimately integrated in party policy
0: perfect paolo thank you for joining me uh this has been Navarre fm on resonance 104.4 fm (laughs) 104.4 fm we will be back at the same time in the same place next week
1: goodbye thanks for having me
0: This show is brought to you by Navarra Media.
1: To find articles, videos and more audio content like this, head to Navaramedia.com. If you've particularly enjoyed this podcast and would encourage others to listen to it, why not head to iTunes and as well as subscribing, leave us a review. Navarro Media can exist only thanks to the generosity of our subscribers and supporters. If you have the means, please consider subscribing at support.navaramedia.com. As well as helping us continue to produce regular content, subscribers will also receive priority access to events as well as promotions throughout the year. For regular updates, follow us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Navarro Media, media for different politics.